Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Awesome. Well, God bless you. God bless uh, all of you. Welcome all of you that are online with us again. Uh, it's wonderful to be a part of this great church. Hey, you know, today's a very special day. I've got, a, I've got a, an amazing uh, message that I believe is straight from the Lord for you. And, and I feel a very a strong urgency today um, to pray and to declare and to release some things over you as a congregation. But I also want to do something that's very special and personal in, in my own home. And I want to do this intentionally because I want to demonstrate something to you as parents and as fathers. Today is my, my daughter's birthday. She's 18 today, Sydney. And uh, I, want to give her, I want to give her a special gift. I want to ask her to come up here and I'm going to pray over her. And I'm going to release a blessing over her as her father. I'm going to ask Jen to come with her. I'm asking Brandon and Angel to come up here as well. And what I would love for you guys to do is if you're sitting with your own kids, if you'd put your hands on your own kids, um, and it, just get in agreement with us, right? Because a lot of people, can I just, can I just be really real? A lot of people um, never receive the blessing of a father. And it's powerful. It's, it's so powerful that in Scripture, um, siblings fought over the blessing. They, they, they warred over who would get the blessing of the father because it's so real. And in our culture, the number one problem that we have in our culture is we have a lack of godly fathers releasing the godly blessing on their children. That's why God hates divorce, because he wants godly offspring and children. So would you guys come and just surround her? And if you would just connect your faith and pray over your own family, your own kids as well, and release your faith this direction. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. For Sydney, I thank you for the calling of God on her life. I thank you for your favor that's upon her. I thank you for the gifts and the talents and the abilities that you placed inside of her. And Father, we affirm her right now on her birthday. We affirm her as she steps into adulthood for the very first time in our culture. Adulthood starts at 18, Father. We know that you take young people seriously way before that. You take their faith seriously way before that. But Father, right now we stand and we lay hands on her and we affirm her as a woman of God. And Father, we ask ask you that you would draw out the best in her, that you would bring out the best in her, that you would awaken the calling inside of her, that you would create desire and hunger and passion inside of her for your kingdom and for your people, God, that you would illuminate inside of her your desires and your purpose and your plan, that she won't get off the path, that she won't miss, uh, miss uh, the, the track, Father, but she will stay on track and she will stay on path. Father, draw her into your word and give her a passion and a fire and a desire for your word in in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for protecting her and providing for her and meeting her every need, Father, bringing the right alignments to her, the right relationships to her that will be crucial, that will be a, a part of her, her path to victory, Father. In the name of Jesus, we give you praise and we agree in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, Sydney, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. I love you. I'm proud of you. I affirm you as a young woman, as a child of God. I call forth the gift of God in your life, the passion of God in your life. I release God's blessing upon you, the identity of Jesus Christ upon your life, the power and the passion and the victory of Jesus. I release it upon your life according to the authority of Jesus Christ given to me. I call you forth as a young woman to be powerful and mighty 
and bold and victorious to stand for Jesus, to stand for his word, to stand for his cause, and to be the powerful woman that he's called you to be in Jesus' name. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for allowing me to, um, to do that, and I hope, I hope that you will um, follow suit. We did something with Sydney when she turned 14. Um, you know, in the Jewish culture, when you move from 12 to 13, you become an adult. It's not, a, it's not at 18. We were joking yesterday at the house. I'm like, babe, you can buy cigarettes now. I mean, you can buy a shotgun if you want. You can, I mean, you're, you're an adult. You can go do some stuff. I'm just, no, no, we don't use cigarettes at, at, the, at our house or anything. Just, just out in public, other places. I'm just joking. We're not smokers. Uh, but, but, but I mean, it's, it, in our culture, it's that there's something about 18. It is powerful. It is real. You can serve your country. You can enlist. You can, a lot of different things that you can do. But in God's eyes, you, you move from childhood into adulthood way younger. Uh, you, you flip back 100 years, and people were, were acting as full-blown adults at 13, 14. They were running the family household. They're doing all kinds of I mean, it's a different world. We, we have fallen into a trap of believing that adolescence, these teenage years are supposed to be uh, seven or eight or 10 years of mayhem and crazy and rebellion and whatever. Yeah, there's a lot going on inside of them chemically, hormonally, but in God's eyes, they're young men and young women. And so for us at 14, we had a rite of passage ceremony with her and we prayed over her. We gave her a prayer journal. We, I made a commitment to teach her and train her how to be a young woman. Uh, we bought an old beater of a farm truck because I wanted to let her learn how to drive a my car. And I started teaching her to drive at 14, you know, and just, just to get out there and, and learn and grow and, and move into the, to the, the adult life. And I want to encourage you as parents, man, we are not perfect parents. We're far from it. We're far from it, but we're engaged and we're involved, and we want to help our children move out of childhood into adulthood. And the sooner they become adults and move and think and work and operate as adults, the better. We don't want to hold on. Please, in the name of Jesus, stop cutting the crust off of your 22-year-old son's bread, okay, for crying out loud. Let him do his own laundry. Let him grow up. Our kids, they do their own laundry. They clean their own stuff. The second they were old enough to carry something and walk, they had jobs at our house, right? You know why? Because we want to lay around, and we have two daughters that we have to put to work for a little while, and then they're going to leave us. Oh, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As for me and my house, we will support childhood labor. I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. This is a series, uh, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go back and watch last week, uh, potentially the most important a message that I've ever spoken, uh, very timely, um, resonated with a lot of people. It's very important. This series is a, is a, a life-building series. You can build your life around the truth in this series. I'm excited for next week and the direction that I'm going to go. Next week, I'm going to dig into and teach you about the gospel of Jesus Christ, what the gospel of Jesus Christ really is. We focused for the last couple of weeks on avoiding the bad news. There's so much bad news in our world. We can fill ourselves up with bad news. In my prayer time, the Lord spoke to me, and what he told me is that he wants his people filled with power, but he can't fill them with power when they're filled with garbage. If we live our life and we're filling ourselves with garbage, we don't have room for his power. Jesus said to the most religious people on the planet, the Pharisees, that they had no room in them for his word. 
They couldn't contain the word of Jesus because they were so full of themselves. They were so full of religion. They were so full of junk that they had no room for the word of Jesus. They had no room for the power of the gospel. Remember, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation. Gospel means good news, good news. And there is good news about Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you and we're gonna jump right into this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I align my faith with the faith of your people. God, your word says that one can put 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. We have a synergistic effect with our faith when we come together and join together as people of faith, when we serve together as people of faith, when we give together as people of faith. There's a synergistic power that you release to us that you are more effective, you are more, uh, more uh, uh, executive with your administrative power from heaven, Father, and more stuff gets done when we are in unity together. Father, release that power to us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I, I had a really bad habit growing up of, of, of picking the wrong friends. I had some really good friends, but I had some really good friends, and, and, and it wasn't until my middle school years. My middle school years, I explained over the last couple of weeks some things that came to light in my own life, a lot of hurts that came to light, and I became extremely rebellious. It was literally overnight my parents watched this sweet, innocent kid that was always happy, always in a good mood, always the, the, the life of the party turn into an angry, rebellious, rage-filled kid, and they had no idea what had happened. And it was because I was dealing with the pain of abuse in my life from a cousin, and I was too ashamed to talk about it. And, and I began to make the wrong relationships. Um, it, it's kind of a traumatic thing for kids a lot of times. I, I had all the same friends from literally kindergarten all the way through fifth grade, and then in sixth grade and seventh grade, you know, it's a weird thing that happens with your schedules, and all of a sudden you're put into classes, and you're not in the classes with any of your other friends, and, and you're kind of forced, and you never even see him. You may see him at lunch, you may see him after school, but I literally was put in a position in sixth and seventh grade that I was in no classes with any of my friends, and I was in a very insecure season of my life. Seventh grade was the worst year of my entire life. I was, I was grounded the entire year. I couldn't get ungrounded. Every time I would get ungrounded, I would mess up by the end of the day and I would be grounded again. I didn't spend a single day free. I was in prison for all of seventh grade. And, I, and because of the insecurity and the pain I was dealing with, I began to pick all the wrong friends. I began to pick rebellious, I'm talking, it was the, it was the 80s, man, it was, it was a wild time to be alive in the 80s, some of y'all that remember that, uh, they want to try to recreate it, they can't recreate it, the 80s was, was, was a, a moment in history where the most ridiculous things happened and we called it cool, um, but, but I, I was hanging with all the wrong people and consequently I was, I was involved with and I was attracted to all the wrong girls. And I begin to build a pattern in my life of being in the wrong relationships, the wrong relationships with friends, with girlfriends, all that type of thing. And it led me down a path that was destructive in my life. I, I remember my mom telling me, I don't want you hanging out with that kid. I can tell. And, I, and, and here I am, because I'm a professional Christian. I've been in church, like I was born in church. I, I'm pretty sure I was born like right at the front. Uh, I, I mean, it's just I, always my whole life in church. So I had the church game down. 
Mom, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge people. Why are you judging him? He's a good kid. Well, I mean, you're supposed to be like Jesus and love people. And I, I knew how to play the game and manipulate and all this kind of stuff. My mom was like, I don't want you hanging out with that girl. And, and, I'm, and she's like, you're too young to date. And I'm like, mom, I've been dating for years. I was 14. I'm like, I've been dating for years, mom. You know, I mean, just I had this attitude. I had this, this, uh, this, this projection. And I wound up in a place that I described to you a couple of weeks ago that I ended up getting arrested. I ended up almost destroying my whole life uh, because of the rebellion in my heart. And I realized in that place that I needed to get my life right and as I begin to dive into the word and as I begin to to seek God I begin to realize very quickly that if I was going to live for God I had to change some of my relationships very quickly I realized that if I was as a 17 year old if I was going to live for God I couldn't hang out with my best friend anymore because my best friend was a wild wild partier I couldn't hang out with my girlfriend anymore. I was in love with this girl. I couldn't hang out with her anymore because she was a partier. And I was trying to live for Jesus. And it was one of the hardest times of my life. It was one of the loneliest times of my life to separate from my closest friends and to separate from my girlfriend and, and go at life alone. And it was just me and Jesus for a season because I didn't have anybody else to hang out with. All the friends that I had to hang out with, none of them could live for Jesus. And all of them were like, no, we, we, we want to get right to it. And I'm like, I can't do it with you. I know. I know. I just can't. I have to be alone right now. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made. It was also one of the hardest decisions I ever made was to separate and to go alone with God. And it was incredibly formative. You've probably heard it said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. I've heard it said this way, that, that show me your five closest relationships and I'll show you where you'll be in five to 10 years. Um, we, we can't, guys, we can't build great lives filling our friend group with missionary projects. Now that sounds weird and awkward, but you've gotta have an inner circle of the right people going the right direction. Jesus was a friend to sinners, the Bible says. But the sinners weren't his best friends. He had an inner circle of friends. We had 12 disciples that he hung out with constantly. But inside of that 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John, that were his innermost circle of friends. You, you look into different stories in the Bible, and there are other. Lazarus uh, was a very intimate, close friend to Jesus. He had godly friends that loved God, that loved the word of God, that were going the right direction. Even Jesus, the son of God, did not fill up his innermost friend group with people that were anti-God and going in opposite direction. It's important that you recognize that. You have to be very intentional. I'm sure all of you can relate to being in the wrong relationship. And ending up going the wrong direction. Whether it was, it was a, a, a friend group in college or high school or whether it was a person that you dated, you can mix, you can entangle your life with the wrong person. Uh, there's an illustration I'll, I'll give you. It was the most dramatic illustration I'd ever seen in my ministry experience. I had a young man that was in our youth group. I was a youth pastor and he literally was the greatest kid in our youth group. He was, a, he was a prodigy. He, I mean, he was a, just literally 14, 15, 16-year-old preacher, incredible standards. Uh, I mean, lived in, in just a level of abstinence and, and a level of purity like no kid had ever seen. And, and he got mixed up 
Because he was constantly getting kids saved and constantly leading people to the Lord. And, and, and he was incredible with it, but he was connected in. He had a really strong uh, friend group inside of our church and youth group. And then he started hanging out with this one girl. And, and I remember warning him and, and warning him. And, and everybody was warning him about this girl. And in his mind, he goes, no, I'm just, I'm just, I'm leading the Lord. I'm mentoring. And you don't need to be mentoring this girl. You're, you're a young man. Help her find a female mentor. You don't need to be. Well, the next thing you know, this guy's completely entangled with this girl. By the time, and I'm telling you, this girl, literally, if she wasn't an actual demon, she was full of demons. She was evil. This chick was evil. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. And she literally, by the time she was done with him, he had every single thing, not just gotten into sin, not just gotten into drinking. Not, by the time she was done with him, he was smuggling heroin. He went to prison. The best kid I ever had in my youth group got mixed up with the wrong girl. And this girl led him down a path that was so devastating and so destructive, and he's never made it back since. Tried. She can't get it back. Devastated. 1 Corinthians 15, says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character or good morals or good behavior. The King James Version says, instead of bad company, it translates it evil communications or wicked communion. See, this thing that we practice in church Receiving the body and the blood of the Lord. We call it Holy Communion with the bread and the wine or, or juice. And, and it's a picture of our union with Jesus. That we are having a meal and having an intimate relationship with Jesus. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can be 45. You can be 65. And you can get in the wrong relationships and find yourself down a path and five years later, 10 years later, you have no idea how you got there and you don't even recognize yourself anymore. It's not just a teen problem or a young person problem. You can find yourself in a business relationship where you're like, oh, no, 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 it's a good, he's a good dude, he's a good dude. Can I tell you how many good dudes will lead you down a wicked path? A friend group, other moms at the school. It's evil communication. Wicked communion. And you, you could be a really, really good person, but all of a sudden you're surrounded in your innermost circle, offers you nothing of spiritual value. I'm not saying reject people and push people away. I'm not saying, I think there are a lot of Christians that miss the point and they only, they only, only, only associate with other believers and that's a, that's a miss too. Because if you only associate with other believers, how are you ever gonna lead anyone to the Lord? It has to be both. You have to have a strong group of your support that are godly people, and you also have to have an agenda that you're reaching out into the world. And, you, and, and my wife Jennifer and I have relationships that we realize these, these are out, this is an outreach relationship. This isn't an influence relationship. And these people don't get to influence me. I get to influence them. That's what this, and if the relationship, if, if the influence isn't gonna work, and it begins to try to shift the other direction, then we don't hang out with these people. Because I'm not going to allow myself to be influenced by someone that's going the direction that's gonna lead me where I don't wanna go. 
Point number one today, God wants you blessed. God wants you blessed. He's a good father. He's a good, good father. Jesus introduced us to a heavenly father. We never, through scripture, there was never a place that we saw until Jesus the revelation of the creator, the almighty, El Shaddai, the, the, the God of armies. We, we never saw him as a loving father until Jesus. And Jesus' description is, if you as an earthly dad can do good things and you're evil, how much more will your heavenly father give you all good things? It's important that you recognize your heavenly father wants you blessed Blessed, blessed, blessed. None of you want your kids living in abject poverty. None of you want your kids struggling and, and fighting and clawing and scratching your way through. If you, if you are a good parent, you want to build your life up like a launch pad that your kids can launch off of, and you want to celebrate and watch your kids soar at levels that you never even got to soar. That's what a good parent does. And how much more does your heavenly father want to be the platform that you launch off of and, and soar in life? He wants you to live a victorious life. This isn't a name it, claim it, prosperity gospel message, but guess what? You're not gonna find a, a curse and, and, and lack gospel inside of the message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus, Jesus never lacked anything. Jesus lived in ultimate blessing, ultimate provision. He had access to everything he ever needed. He never had lack. He was always, always in a place of sufficiency and overflow. And God wants that for you. He wants you to live a blessed life, period, period. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through stuff. You will. You're going to go through stuff in life because it's life. And Jesus said, in this life, you will have tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. Jesus overcame the world for us. Amen? God wants you blessed. Now, I want to read a passage to you. This is Psalms chapter 1. This is literally a step-by-step -step how you can guarantee that you live a life of God's blessing. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed. The word blessed means happy. Blessed means happy. God wants you happy. He wants you happy. Blessed is the one. Watch. He starts off with a negative. He starts off with showing you how to not be blessed. Are you ready? Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of a mocker. Watch. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. This is an amazing passage to help you examine your life, look at the flow that comes into your life and see whether or not you are on a track to be blessed or to be cursed. Now, part of this series and part of what I have been instructed to do by God is to uncover the enemy's agenda. I am a competitor. I was always, as a kid, extremely competitive. Uh, as an as athlete, I was unbelievably competitive. And everything for me was studying and dissecting my opponent, 
not literally dissecting that, it would be really gross, um, but, but, but understanding what they do and how they do it and what their strategy is and what their strengths are and then exploiting those things, it's, it's no different than what a football coach does or, or what a basketball coach does or whatever when they're watching tape and they're studying the team they're about to play, but I had a natural ability inside of myself that I did that from the youngest of age and, and I, I just had a strength for that of how to beat someone, how to come out the winner. It was a, just a, a, something that God gave me as a gift, as a competitor and it's part of why he called me into the kingdom to to be a declarer of his word my name joel means declarer of god it's what i was named to do it's what i was called to do please don't name your kids something stupid give them a real good name that has some actual meaning to it because watch out it'll, it'll it'll come true my parents called me joel declarer of god on purpose my whole life i tried not to be a declarer of god i tried to be my middle name Nathaniel, it means the gift of God. When I met Jennifer, I told her I was the gift of God. She believed me. (laughs) See, the enemy's agenda, watch. We are called to to walk by faith. Not by sight, we walk by faith. We're called to stand and resist the enemy. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. We have an action agenda. We have an action agenda as the people of God. Satan's agenda is to, is to steer you off and get you walking with the wrong people. He's okay that you're walking at first, but he wants you walking with the wrong people. Because if he can get you walking with the wrong people, he can get you stopped and standing, and now you're standing around in the way of sinners. So walking with the wicked, you're just hanging out with them. They're wicked. They're twisted. They're off course. They're off message. And you're walking with him. You're just there. They're influencing you. Next thing you know, you're standing and you have a posture of resistance, but you're in line with sinners. You're resisting the good instead of resisting the enemy because you're standing in league with sinners. And the next posture is this, sitting in the seat of a mocker, the scornful. Someone who speaks evil. Someone who's constantly, come on, you, you know those people that, that, everything, that out of their mouth, it's a constant flow of something negative, something small, Alec, of something, just, it's, they're just a mocker. He wants you into a place, and guess what a seat represents? A seat represents a place of authority. Satan wants you to have a place of negative, ungodly authority. You know who I don't understand? These um, Yelp review Nazis. (laughs) That they want to go into a restaurant, the rice box. What do you think you're getting at the rice box? This isn't like a five star. (laughs) And they're going to give it a one. I mean, they they just, they want to just, just, they have the gift of criticism, right? They're a food critic, a self-proclaimed critic, and they, want to, and they just want to tear it down, tear it down, tear it. Those people need to get a life for crying out loud. The enemy wants to bring you into a place where your whole outlook is criticism. Why? Because criticism is connected to curse. God wants you to live a life of blessing where you operate like him and you are a blessor. You are a blesser of his world, a blesser of his people, and the enemy wants you walking with the wrong people, standing in the wrong way, and sitting in the seat of authority when it comes to criticism and mocking. That's his agenda. 
But the recipe here, the recipe here is for you to be incredibly effective. See, the enemy wants to render you ineffective. He wants you inept, insignificant, spiritually impotent, no power, too full of garbage to have anything good. Doesn't want you walking in power. He doesn't want you walking in the place of blessing in your life. But this psalm from David, the very first psalm he ever wrote, so powerful, very first psalm, gives us a recipe that instead if you will plant yourself by the river of life, if you'll plant yourself by the river of life, blessed is he who doesn't walk with those people, doesn't stand with those people, doesn't sit with those people. He's like one who's planted by the river, like a tree planted by the river, who bears his fruit in season and his leaves never wither, and everything he does prospers. Come on, that's the picture that God wants for you. Everything you do prospers. Everything you do prospers. Every business deal prospers. Every venture prospers. Every relationship prospers. Everything prospers. Why? Because you're planted by the river of life. And watch, and it says in the Love, they delight, they love the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night. They love God's word, God's law, God's statutes, God's promises, God's commandments. Love his word, delight in it, get giddy about it, excited about the word. Oh my God, the word, God's word, are you serious? We get the word of God, we get to hear God's, oh, this is my delight. This is what I'm into. This is my jam. This is my stuff. They, they delight in it. They're all about it. They're talking about it day and night. Can't shut up about it. That's the secret. Guys, we talk. Some of, okay, hold on. Anybody in here a talker? I know you are, girl. I know you are. I know you are. Thank you. Okay, okay. How about any quiet types? Any quiet types? All right, but we are a quiet type, but when you're alone, you talk to yourself. <laughs> Out loud, even. You gotta watch the quiet ones, because you don't know what's going on, but inside, they got it going on. And they're having conversations in here. They don't let you know what it is, but they're talking in here, right? Whether you're a loud one or you're a quiet one, guys, our minds never stop. There's a constant conversation going on internally. Some of you let it out and get in trouble. Others of you hold it in, and it's poisonous if you're not careful. If you're not careful, millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of thoughts every single day, internal conversation. You're only aware of 3 to 5% of your thoughts. Did you know that? 95 Hundreds of millions of thoughts every day you're not even aware of. They're subconscious. They just flow. You're only aware of three to five percent of your of your hundreds of millions of thoughts, and those are the three to five percent that you actually have control over. And you can rewrite your internal tape by taking captive the thoughts that are negative to your life. Enemy wants to render you ineffective, but God wants you blessed. God has given us specific weapons to fight with. Specific weapons, I'm gonna show you this because I'm gonna help you see again the reverse strategy of the enemy and what we have been given to wage war and to win. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse four says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Your weapons are not fleshly, they're not earthly. 
Carnal means flesh. It's carne, right? Some of y'all like some carne asada. Mm, come on, Jesus. Right? Carne means flesh. Meaty. The weapons that you have are not flesh, but they're mighty through God, it says. Watch this. Four things they do. For the pulling down of strongholds, the casting out of arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to show you right here in four steps what the enemy's agenda is every single time. He has one agenda every single time. This is how he does it, and God gave you the weapons to defeat it. Number one, it always starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. See, there were four things, strongholds, arguments, high things, and thoughts that are rebellious against God. It will always thought, he'll sow a thought in your head. We talked about what he said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say that you would die? What he said to Jesus, when Jesus had just heard, you are my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, the very first thing Satan says to him in Luke chapter four is, if you are the son of God, if you really are, he always starts with an evil thought that goes contrary to the truth of the word of God. The next thing that happens is what's called a high thing, an attitude. You ever know anybody that had an attitude? You know, if you're, if you're a pilot, you think of attitude a little differently than a normal, a normal person thinks about an attitude as something that a person has. A pilot thinks about an attitude as something that a plane has. The attitude, and, and I'm not a pilot, and I know we've got some here, a pilot, uh, an attitude is, is, is the direction or the tilt of your nose. If your attitude is, good, is up, you're going up. If your attitude is down, you're going down. If your attitude stays down too long, you're in trouble, okay? Big trouble. The attitude has to be right. In fact, what's interesting is, is and I, I'm, again, I know nothing about aeronautical science except for some thrust and lift and whatever and Jets go faster. That's about all I know. But when a plane lands, its nose is still up. Did you know that? A plane, when it flies, when it, when it goes up, its nose is up, it levels off. But when it comes down to land, at the most crucial point of life and death, its nose is up. The attitude is still up. Listen, if you don't keep your attitude right, it will destroy your whole life. If you don't keep your attitude right, it'll destroy your whole life. Your attitude is so important, and your attitude starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. It starts with what comes into your life through your ears, through your eyes, through, through your other perceptions. It starts with information. It's a thought that turns into an attitude. And if you have thoughts that are left alone, that are not taken captive, and they're anti-Christ thoughts, they're anti-God thoughts, you will move into a place where you begin to have an attitude that's anti-God, and anti his calling and purpose for your life, and watch this, then it turns into, the next one is an argument. You go from attitude to argument. That's the third step. Now when you have your attitude, now you move into the argument, now you're defending your position. You're defending, guys, social media, full of arguments. Full of arguments. People with bad attitudes, bad thoughts, stepping up and taking the place of an argument. It's the third tier in Satan's agenda. Wrong thoughts, wrong attitude, wrong argument. The fourth one is a stronghold. A stronghold is a fortified castle. The enemy's ultimate agenda is that your brain is so depraved that you have a fortified castle of his wicked thoughts, arguments, and attitudes that you rigorously defend 
for him. But God has given you weapons that are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not earthly. They're spiritual. They're heavenly. And they are mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds, for the casting down of arguments and high things and the demolishing of every thought that exalts itself above the image of Christ. Guys, it starts with taking thoughts captive. It starts with taking thought captive. What happens is when you're hanging out with the wrong people, remember it's evil communications corrupt good morals. You're in conversations. And, 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 and you, got, you got thoughts. And, and you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or you don't want to come across rude so you just agree with them. And you're now agreeing with thoughts instead of taking them captive. See, Christians need to be, and I'm not talking about being necessarily super confrontational, but for the love of God, stand up. Stand up for the truth. Stand up for the word. It's okay to say, you know what, I don't agree with that. We can, we can still get along, but I don't agree with that. Because if you go along and agree with all of this negative, with all of this whatever, with all these different attitudes that are ungodly, the next thing you know, you've got the attitude. And you're making the arguments. So the first and, first and foremost question today is, who are you walking with? Who are you aligned with in life? Is there anyone that you need to disconnect from? When I say that phrase, does anybody pop into your mind? I, I, I was in different times of my life where I had business partners that I had to disconnect from. It, it, and it was not a, a, a lucrative decision for me to make the disconnection. But it was, it was for the sake of my soul, for the sake of my marriage, that, that I separate. I have watched people that I deeply, deeply, deeply love not heed the warnings of their wife who had an inner understanding that the business partner was not right. Wouldn't heed, wouldn't listen. I've watched it over and over with multiple people. The next thing you know, the whole world is in shambles and the marriage is on the rocks because of an alignment that's wicked, sinful, mocking. We can't hang with hellions and experience heaven's best. We've got to build the right relationships. I heard a phrase recently on a TV show. It said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Anyone that's an enemy of Satan is your friend. Can I say it like that? Christians spend too much time warring with other Christians. And not enough time warring against the actual enemy. Churches split, people leave, relationships bust, families fall apart. Warring with their allies when there's a real enemy. Anyone that is not for the enemy, anyone that's against your enemy, is your friend. An enemy of your enemy is your friend. We need, look, it doesn't matter to me. Someone's a Baptist, an Episcopalian, a Presbyterian, where they go to church, what they like, what their rituals are, or their habits, or their whatever, they're my friend. If they're for Jesus, 
They're my friend. I'm not going to get caught up in this and that and, and church versus church and all that kind of If they're a church, they're my friend. If they're for Jesus, they're my friend. I don't have time to fight my friends. We have a real enemy that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus' number one prayer for us, the last time he prayed for us before he died, before he was taken captive, the last prayer was, Father, let them be one as we are one. Let them be one. Jesus' desire is for believers to be in unity. The enemy wants to divide us. We've watched. I have never in my life seen a more divisive time in American history. In my lifetime. I'm sure maybe there were other ones. But in my lifetime, Christians divided over political positions, over social positions, completely divided. Both sides saying the same thing. How can you call yourself a Christian if? Both sides. And and they both have their reasons. How can you call yourself a Christian if you align with that, that political person, their views? How can you call yourself a Christian if you align with these social agendas that are anti the Bible? How can you call yourself, and, and we're divided, guys. The enemy's agenda. To divide our allies and to partner with mockers. Divide you from your allies and get you walking with the wicked. Can I tell you there's wicked on both sides? There's wicked on both sides. And we've got to get wise enough that we recognize who we're walking with. And listen, it's not just about actual friendships. You could say, Joe, I don't have a single friend in my whole life that's not a believer. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. But, but the reality is, if, if you don't associate with people that have a different point of view, you're going you're gonna to be really short-sighted in a lot of ways. You've got to at least spend time and learn. I have people, uh, a couple, couple of weeks ago, I, I preached something and I came across a certain way and I hurt someone's feelings and the person came to me afterwards and I'm glad that they did and they had different feelings and different views and some of their views I disagreed with. But I thank them for sharing because I want to understand. Thank you for sharing that. I want to understand. I want to understand how you think. I want to understand why you see the world that way. I want to see from your perspective. It'll help me be a better person if I can try to understand why you see from your perspective, even though we disagree. We used to be able to disagree and stay in unity. We used to be unified around Jesus. We used to be unified about we're Americans. We used to be unified about these different things. We could disagree and stay in unity. And now it's like if you disagree, you're not my friend. You're not my relative. A lot of it's influence, guys. We've got, we've got to be careful who the influences are in our lives. Second question, where are you planted? Where are you planted? Because the verse, the secret was, if you're planted by the river of life, you love his law, you meditate on it day and night, your leaves will never wither. You'll you'll bear fruit in every season. Where are you planted? Psalms 92 verse 23 says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish in the courts of their God. If you're planted in the right place, whatever you do will prosper. 
See, the Bible, it's really amazing when it talks about the river of life in the book of Revelations. It literally says that the, that the river of life flows out from the throne of God and from the Lamb. It flows out of the throne where God sits and from the Lamb, Jesus, the Word of God. So if we can learn how to position ourselves in life, to plant ourselves in life, where we are constantly in the presence of God and constantly near the Word of God, we delight in His law and His, His statutes, His law, His words are on our lips. We meditate on them day and night. That word meditate means to chew. We chew on them. We chew on them. We, we talk about them. We think about them. The Bible says that we're to come boldly to the throne of grace. See, I, I mentioned earlier about me having to separate from certain relationships, but what it did for me is it put me in a position where, where I planted myself in church. And I planted myself as a young adult in the college and young adult ministry. And I planted myself in, in different areas where I would serve in kids' ministry. And I would serve in youth ministry. I was 17, 18, 19. I'm serving in the church. I'm volunteering because I wanted to be a part of a team. I wanted to be in line with people that believed and were going. And, and in the beginning, I was hanging out with people that I never would have hung out with before because I didn't think they were cool enough for me. And the reality was I wasn't cool enough for them. But what happened is when I separated and created space, God opened the door and brought me the best friends I've ever had in my life because I set myself apart and I refused to walk with the wicked, stand with the sinful, sit with the, with the mocker and the scornful. And I planted myself in the church. I planted myself in volunteerism. I planted myself in small groups at church. And I began to make relationships. I met Jennifer in that small group. I met Jennifer serving in that children's ministry. My best buddy from college, I met him. Because I had the guts, I had the courage to step away. And yes, I was lonely for a season. Yes, it was painful. Started writing sad poetry. But God brought me through it. Got to walk with the right people. Got to plant yourself in his house. And lastly, got to get obsessed. Get obsessed with God's word. You need to get obsessed with his word. Well, I thought obsession was a bad thing. There are healthy obsessions. In fact, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If you're ever going to do anything outstanding in your life, you're going to get obsessed. You will, you will literally be consumed with accomplishing and doing and doing and accomplishing. That's the only way you do anything great is you get consumed with doing this thing and accomplishing this thing. And, and, and the word of God has to be centerpiece in that. You need to get obsessed with the word of God. I want you to listen. This guy that the Bible calls the guy after God's own heart, what was his secret? Listen to this. This is Psalms 119.10. This, this was your homework for last week for you to go read this. Psalms 119, literally, it's the entire alphabet. It's 176 verses about how much David loves God's word. The longest book in the Bible, the guy after God's own heart, 176 verses. This, this one chapter of Psalms is bigger than other books of the Bible. And the whole thing is how much he is obsessed with God's word. You want to have a heart after God's own heart? You want God to look down at mankind and say, that one right there, that's the one I'm choosing. Watch this. With my whole heart, verse 10, I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. 
Your word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgment of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That's just five little verses. And there's like 15 references of how much he loves God's word inside of five little verses. He's obsessed with it. The Bible says that you can wash your brain with God's word. You can wash yourself with God's word. It says you can transform your mind and renew your mind with God's word. And the opposite of that, if you don't renew your mind with God's word, is that you will be conformed to the ways of this world. And that's what's happening. People are becoming conformed. They're conformists. They're compliists. And they're just doing whatever they're told to do. Just comply. Just comply. Just comply. Just conform. Just conform. Just conform. Doesn't make any sense. Science changes every week. You can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't match up with the word of God. It doesn't match up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But comply. Comply. Conform. Conform. We're not called to conform. We're called to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by the washing of the water of the word. And we've got to be the people of God that rise up and we're so full of the word of God, we're so obsessed with the word of God that we will not be deceived by the lies because we have the truth. So how do you talk about God's word? I just read to you how David talked about it. How do you talk about it? When you talk about the word of God, when you talk about reading the Bible, you know, when, when I first started, this is how I talked about it. Man, I, I don't even know what it, I don't know what it means. It's too hard for me to understand. I really just can't get it. I mean, I feel like I'm reading a foreign language. It might as well be in Chinese to me because I can't speak Chinese and I can't speak this King James English and all this. It just doesn't make sense. And every time I try to read the Bible, I fall asleep. And I had all of these negative things that I used to say about God's word. And then I made my number one habit was every single day I began to get in God's word. You know what I did? The very first thing I did, I read the book of Psalms. And I started, I started reading psalms as if it was my psalm. Blessed is Joel, because he doesn't walk with the wicked. Blessed is Joel because he doesn't stand with sinners in their ways. Blessed is Joel because he doesn't sit in the seat of scornful. Joel's planted by the word of God. He's planted by the stream of life. He, he loves the law. He loves God's word. He, Joel meditates it on it day and night. And, and his, his leaves will never wither. And, and his, his fruit will be born in season. And everything he does prospers. I started doing that every day. I put myself in the Bible. I declared it like it was my prayer, like it was my declaration. Listen, if you will make God's word your declaration, you'll begin to take thoughts captive. You'll begin to step in to brand new high places, attitudes that are godly. You'll begin to make arguments because now you know the truth and you're gonna build a fortified castle of God's word inside of your mind. You will do the opposite of the, of the devil's agenda because you start with one thing, how much you love God's word and how dedicated you are to it most important thing in your life. Why? Because Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the word. I want to encourage you every single day of your life. I heard this said one time and I'm closing. The most important things in your life you do daily. The most important things in your life you do daily. Every day I kiss my kids. Every day I tell my wife I love her. 
Every day I eat really good food. My God, that's important to me. Every day I, I focus on my hygiene. I hope in Jesus' name you focus on your hygiene every day. It should be that important to you. But I can tell you the most important thing is every single day I get in the word of God. Every single day I, I plant myself by the river of life. Every single day I position myself where I have access to the throne of God where the river of life flows and, and the lamb of God can release his word into my life every single day. It's a habit that keeps me in the right path. It helps me be prosperous in every way because it's God's promise. It's time for God's people to actually live the promise. Amen? Amen. Will you stand to your feet with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your children. God, I ask you to draw them into your word. Will you just say this with me? Say, Father, I love your word. I delight in your promises. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your commandments. Write them on my heart. Teach me to love them, to be filled with joy, to talk about them every day, every night, constantly in conversation with what you're doing in my life, with the truth of your word. Father, teach me to be obsessed, to stop binging on garbage and to binge on your word, to fill myself up day in and day out. I will delight in your laws. Find pleasure in your statutes. Your word I will hide in my heart that I will not sin against you. I love the word. I love Jesus. I live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.